0: particularly the beginning of it, Abba, um, every morning for me, that's significant. Abba is how I know God. You, do you guys recognize kind of the way you primarily recognize God? You know, everybody has one sort of way or, or something where you, you'll you just tend to call him this, right? And I always call him Abba. Every morning, almost in my journal, I write, good morning, Abba. Like, it's just how I start my day. And so, um, so to me, that really spoke to my heart because that is who God is to me. I was... Um, I grew up orphaned at age 12 and so Abba has become my, he has become father to me. And uh, to me that's such a blessing. But in a real tender and personal way, like the name Abba. And uh, so that was a huge blessing to me this morning. So thanks Jordan for starting us out that way. I just felt like, oh yeah, you're right here. (laughs) So um, in my journey in the last year or so, I feel like I've been going through these um, paradigm shifts. And paradigm shifts can be really unnerving because they need to be tested. They need to be, um, you know, you have to kind of pray through them. You have to walk them out. you got to test the fruit afterwards of them. And so those things can be a little bit unnerving. And um, so I'm declaring that this morning, that for me, I'm still not entirely at a place where I'm comfortable with the things that God is revealing. And yet that's okay. So. Um, I've been feeling like for quite a while now, like the church is on the verge of a major reformation. Um, we've been praying for a long time for a revival. I actually rarely p- pray for a revival anymore because revival means like kind of regenerating something that's there. Which, it's, it's good, it has its place, but I really feel like there's something beyond that. I feel like there is a reformation coming, a cultural reformation, like the kind of reformation that actually impacts everything and everyone around you. I feel like that's coming. And I feel like a really important component of that is prayer. I feel like it's going to be an important um, part of how that reformation comes into being. We need a transformation that is radical enough to rock the world around us. And it doesn't mean I'm dissatisfied with the church, because I actually really love the church. I think the church is beautiful. And I think we have come such a far, far distance from where we were. But I think there's still some space um, and some places the Lord is going to move us into. Now, knowing most of you, I would say there's probably not a single person in this room that would disagree that prayer is important. Am I right? Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to begin with us agreeing that um, Jesus prayed, his disciples prayed, the early church prayed, and he called us to pray. What I would like to start with, though, is I want to break off condemnation around prayer. I feel like there's a lot of condemnation around prayer in the church. I feel like people feel like, I don't pray enough. I don't pray the right way. I don't do all I want to break that off of you in Jesus' name. I want to declare that that is not from the Lord. Okay, He wants to set us free in the area of prayer, I feel like. I don't want to stand here and tell you, <clears throat> you know, do pray like this, you need to pray more or any of those things. In fact, I want to set you free from that stuff. What I would like to do, though, is I would like to ignite, if the Lord gives me the grace for it, a fire inside of you to pray. That's what my heart's desire is, that it be a fire ignited in each person to pray. And I want to break up all the stuff that hinders a powerful prayer life in us. Some time ago, I felt like the Lord told me that a major upcoming theme for me would be fighting for arrows, and for whatever reason, I immediately knew that that referred to Psalm 127. You know Psalm 127? It says, "'Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth.'" Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This passage is speaking of both children and offspring. And when it says children, I kind of, I understand that. But when it's talking about offspring, I believe it's saying children, grandchildren, spiritual children, children. you know, all kinds of different people who we are connected with their growth, right? All the people whose lives we're connected with their growth, that's, I believe, what this passage is talking about. So if you don't have physical children, it still does apply to you because we are all connected to one another's growth. One thing I noticed in this passage is that arrows are weapons. And we can be really uncomfortable with... Weapon conversation, war conversation, battle conversation. Because the Western culture tends to glorify war a bit. Some places a lot. And so we can shy away from that because we think, oh my goodness, I don't want to even be connected with that. But the reality is, and I think most of us have discovered, that we are in battles continually. Anybody here never get into a battle? Anybody currently not in any kind of battle right now? So, I would say this probably relates to a number of us, anyway. We don't like the weapon imagery because we are concerned about getting caught in a wrong way of thinking about what God's battles are. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to draw us into thinking about them perhaps a little bit differently. The war is already won. Amen? Amen? But the battles remain. In much of the West, I've noticed that the church has taken on a pretty passive stance. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about um, physical war when I say that. I mean, there's pacifism. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is a passive perspective toward the battles that go on on a daily basis in our lives. And we pray for something, and then it doesn't happen. So we come up with this thing where we sort of spiritualize and we say, it must not have been God's will. You know, I've done that. And then we throw in the towel. And the problem is that when we become passive, okay, so we all, every single one of us is aware of battles going on around us, and perhaps within us too. Um, But when we become passive toward those battles, what happens is it comes out a different way. We become complainers, we become criticizers, we become outward worriers, we speak our worries. That's because the battle is still raging, and we're not directing it properly, So we end up sending out our battle differently. We send out the battle through our words. And we can send them out in a good way, or we can send them out in a destructive way. And I believe what God is calling us to is to engage in a way that brings life. God wants us to bring life. Now, since arrows are weapons, it's extremely important that we understand that they need to remain in the hands of the Lord, in the hands of the church, in our hands, and not in the enemy's hands. Because what happens when an arrow gets into the enemy's hands is he will and does use it against you. Anybody notice that? That when somebody around you is in a mess in their life and the enemy can get a hold of our loved ones, he uses it against us to bring discouragement. Anybody get discouraged when people around you are struggling? You know, that can bring discouragement, it saps our hope, it saps our joy, right? The enemy uses those arrows against us, and he doesn't have that right. I'm sure there's not anybody in this room who hasn't grieved deeply over someone you love. I doubt that's even possible, actually, because God grieves over his lost children. But it's what we do with the grief. Grief. And I feel like many of us in the church have been confused about free choice and free will and all those things. You know how we talk about free choice, free will? And we refer back to the story about Adam and Eve, how they had free choice. God just let them choose to do everything. The thing is that God didn't leave them abandoned after they made a terrible choice. He went hard after them. He went hard after every single person who's ever sinned against him and turned away from him. That was God's response to their bad choice. We are made in the image of God. So our response to people's bad choice needs to be like God's response to bad choices, which is we pursue, right? We go after them. He fought for their hearts and souls, and I want to declare that we also are called to fight for the hearts and souls of men and women and children. Because they matter to God. They matter greatly to Him. And I've been through seasons in my life, and I know you've been through seasons in your life too, where you're greatly distressed over the choices somebody you love is making. And that's hard. And when that's happened to me in the past, sometimes what I've done is I've talked to a few friends and said, can you pray for me, because I'm really struggling with this. And what I found interesting was my friends, who are wonderfully and supportive, sometimes said, you know, people make bad choices sometimes and you just kind of have to learn to accept it. And I went, is that even biblical? I'm not sure if it is. So I tried to find it. I think it's in Second Chemicals. You know, I don't think it is biblical that we just have to accept people's bad choices. Because what did, how did God respond to people's bad choices? Again, he pursued them, right? He laid down his life for them, right? He's calling us to be like him. And so I kind of pressed into that a bit. And I realized that when the enemy takes people captive, they are not free to choose. When you are in a jail cell, you are not free to choose. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, And release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God's plan is that the people who are in prison are to be oaks of righteousness. said, they will be called that. Right? But they're imprisoned. There was a story in the Bible of David. This is before he became king. This is when he had his band of followers. And um, he and and his group lived in a little town called Ziklag. And um, Ziklag was where they had left their wives, their children, their possessions and stuff, and then they went off to fight. The thing is that what happened while they were away one time was that the Amalekites came and raided Ziklag. And they carried off all their women, all their children, all their possessions, all their, everything they had, all gone. And when David and his men returned and they saw Ziklag, It said, the Bible says, they wept until they could weep no more. They wept until they could weep no more. And I realize sometimes when the enemy has pulled away our loved ones, that's our first response, is we weep until we have no more strength left to weep, right? There's another part, though, is that they pulled together and they went after the ones that were taken captive. And the Bible says that they recovered every person and every single thing. They recovered them all. In the church today, um, there still is a struggle with that Amalekite spirit. You see, the Israelites had a long history with the Amalekites. When they were traveling out of Egypt through the Exodus and they were going heading toward the promised land, the Amalekites kind of followed in behind. And they would pick off the stragglers. You know, when, when somebody was kind of left to the side, the Amalekites would come and pick them off, right? And that happens in the church today. When people get separated from the body of Christ, separated from fellowship, separated from relationship, they become a victim of the Amalekite spirit sometimes. And the thing is that we, like David and his men, have to go back and recover them and restore them again to the Lord right? Bring them back. Bring them back. Arrows that are not in the church's quiver will end up in the enemy's hands. And when we refuse to engage with what's going on, we just look and we get discouraged. And we think to ourselves, God, you're not intervening. But he might be saying, but you're my intervention. I'm sending you. You and I are his intervention to bring back the captives and the prisoners. And as I was thinking about this, and I was dealing with some concern for someone who I love very much, I just suddenly got really, really, really angry. Like, I mean angry. And I'm not a super angry person. I've got a very, very long fuse. It's not pretty when it finally goes off, but it is long, right? And I was so mad. And it, was, it felt so different in me than anything I've ever felt before. I don't know if this is what righteous anger is. I don't want to claim that necessarily, but it might have been a little closer than my normal anger. But regardless, I felt an absolute fury inside of me when I realized what the enemy was doing. And I spoke the words that were burning inside of me. And what I said was, over my dead body. Now, that might bother some of you because you think, oh, she just cursed herself. Or, oh, she's got a spirit of suicide going on. None of that. Okay, none of that. It was a point of demarcation. It was like, no matter what, no matter what, it don't care what it costs me, I'm going after this thing. I have just had it, right? And that's the point that we sometimes need to hit. I'm not telling you to get angry. I'm telling you, when you hit the peak of your response, whatever that looks like, you will respond, right? And that's what I'm asking Holy Spirit to stir inside of us. You know, hit that peak of response inside of us, God, so we don't put up with the enemy and his garbage. I still have no desire to die outside of God's timing. I don't want to get to heaven and him go, you're not even done. (laughs) Right? I prefer to hear, like, well done, good and faithful servant, not not done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> but, but the thing is that I'm also not willing to self-protect in that situation. So what it costs me, it costs me. I, th- I don't know if that's what it looks like to be in the category of loving not your own life to death. You know how it says in Revelations? That's how we, sorry, Revelation. That's how we overcome, right? It's by not loving our own life to death, right? That's one of the the keys to it. I don't know if that's what that is, but whatever it is, for me, it was just no holds barred. That is it. And so I began to pray, and I declared, and I fasted, and I wept, and I worshipped, and I proclaimed, and I bound, and I loosed, and I did everything I know how to do, and I didn't see anything changing. And I was really mad. (laughs) And I was like, I'm getting really discouraged, God. God. Like, I'm all into this thing, and I don't see you moving yet. And I want to clarify. I wasn't praying stuff that was my own will, like I want to win the lottery or whatever. I don't, you know, I wouldn't. But anyway, um, I wasn't praying that stuff. I knew what God's will was in this situation. I knew fully what his will was. And I knew I was out to set prisoners and captives free. But the Lord spoke to me one day, and he said, you are guaranteed to win if you do not give up. And I thought, oh man, I give up so easy. And I realized that I was struggling with a few things. One of the things I was struggling with was a fear of control. Because I don't want to control people. I don't want to get ahead of what the Lord's doing. I don't want to violate a person's free will. And all of that stuff was like... That's all hanging around me at this point in time. But I realized that when a person that is in prison and they don't have a choice, I need to go and find the keys to help them get free. Right? Those jail bars needed to be opened. And I discovered that the Lord was right, so I didn't give up. And battled a lot of discouragement, battled a lot of lies, and then I started to see breakthrough. And I've seen that pattern now repeated a few times in a few different situations and it's very encouraging. It's like, thank you God, you know. I didn't do any of that alone. I made sure I checked with a few people (coughs) and had some people joining me in prayer and all those things. There was Mark and I were together on these things. You know, it was like, It wasn't an isolation kind of thing, and it wasn't a me thing. It was just I discovered that when you don't give up, God does come through. And it's not like I have a gift of intercession and you don't. It's just it looks different in my life than it does in yours. But we all have the ability to bring freedom. Every one of us. You know, we sang it this morning, it's for freedom that he set us free, right? And so I'm going to give you three different points that are kind of t- three takeaways, even though I don't think anything fits into three points quite that neatly, but sometimes it's easier to help us learn things. But three things that I had takeaways from the kind of the whole experience. The first one is holy stubbornness. Okay? I know stubbornness is not a positive attribute, so... But in this case, we don't sometimes understand perseverance, right? And sometimes stubbornness is a word we kind of understand a little bit better. So I'm calling it holy stubbornness. We will win. We will prevail if we do not give up. And how do I know that? Because the victory already won, right? Yeah. Ah. Jesus already accomplished fully the victory on the cross and through his resurrection. And so because of his sacrifice and because of his power in resurrection... We have that available to us. And I think that for us, it's just a matter of simply living out what he has accomplished already. I want to give you an important key here. I think it's important. Um, to many of us, it doesn't make sense why do we have to pray and keep praying and keep praying over and over and over and over and over again. Anybody else ever wonder about that? Like, I already asked you, God, once, do you have a bad memory? Like, Yeah. And we wonder, why does he say, keep praying and keep praying and keep praying? A couple of things that might be helpful with that. One is that many years ago, um, said to me, it's kind of like there's a big bowl in heaven. And your prayers go into the bowl. And once the bowl gets full, it tips and it pours out on the earth. And that was a helpful picture for me. Like that, okay, that's why you have to keep praying. Because the bowl gets more and more full. But as I've kind of been pressing into this a little bit more, I felt like there's a little more to it than that. You see, you and I are made in the image of God, which means as redeemed people, we tend to do things the way God does them, right? And we do things that look like it might be him, right? So one of the things that God is really good at doing is he, his words create realities. <clears throat> like he created the entire universe, earth, everything on it in six days, most of that with his words. The only time he didn't use his words was when he created manny made that from the ground. But the rest of the time, he created with his words. So, his words created reality. Our words create reality. The thing is that the process of creating sometimes takes time. Like when God was creating the heavens and the earth, it took him six days, right, to create. For us, too, creating realities in the spirit realm takes time. It takes time. And so we have to be prepared to hang in there until the work of creating that new reality is completed. So we will pray it, and we will sing it, or we will whatever. But that is something we have to understand around our words, is that our words change things. Not because we're whatever, because we're made in his image, and he likes that. We don't need to pray for days and weeks and months to get God to hear us. Or to convince him to say yes. Okay? That's not why we need to pray for days or weeks or months. We need to pray for days or weeks or months sometimes. Because our words and prayers create reality. And that takes time. Creating takes time. So don't give up before the work of creating is done. Number two, total commitment and passion. Let the Holy Spirit ignite a fire for freedom inside of you. Let him ignite that fire for freedom. Pray like you mean it. I think actually that our emotions would be a lot healthier if we let them get involved in our prayers. Because praying is not like saying grace around a meal. You know how we say? Put your head down. God is great. God is good. I mean, those things are all true. But that's not what this kind of prayer is like. We have to engage our emotion, right? We have to let them come together. Again, it's not about conjuring anything up or striving or whatever. It's just letting them Come out, whatever that is. So it might be yelling or it might be crying or it might be laughing or it might be singing or it might be shouting or it might be silence or it might be moaning and groaning or whatever it is, but allow the emotion to come in and let the passion flow through the prayer. right? Let it it work that way. Let the fire come out in that praying. Get your body and your soul and your spirit all involved in the thing. It's much more fun. Much better. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And that's not violence against people, by the way. Right? Ephesians 6 says, Our struggle's not against flesh and blood. Right? We're not violent toward people. But it is prayers that wreak havoc on the enemy. Jesus went on to comment about a generation that didn't engage their emotions. He said, but to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament, right? It's like people had a stoic response to what was going on around them. We sang, you didn't dance. We mourned, you didn't lament, right? Again, allow our emotions to get involved. Our souls are not bad. I just want to say that. You know how we sometimes say soulish? What we mean is it's kind of like maybe a human response or maybe something negative, I don't know. But our souls are good. You know, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let your soul get involved in this thing. That's what it's made for, Right? Our emotions are made to engage with the Holy Spirit. And also, one other thing with that is forget about trying to make sure you cover everything off in your prayers. It will wear you out. Really. I mean, you got, if you've got to pray for everything, oh my goodness, what if I forget something, right? God knows what we need before we even ask it. So don't get hung up on making sure you say the right thing or pray the right way or whatever that stuff is. Um, when I first started going to a small group many years ago, it was actually Peter and Denise's small group, and such a blessing. And I was fascinated by these people who prayed out loud without having their prayer written down ahead of time. And so I listened pretty carefully, but I didn't participate for a long, long time. And the reason was I didn't want to do it wrong because these people knew exactly what they were doing, and I did not, okay? So I listened for many weeks, and I discovered some things. That when you pray, you need to say God's name a lot of times in your prayer. <laughs> yes, God, like, God, I know you're hearing me, God, and you know, like... <laughs> anyway, you say that a lot. That's one of the things you have to do. Um, use the word just as many times as possible, You can fit that just in, like, just like anywhere, just where the Lord would just, you know, you say that lots and lots of times. It's really highly recommended. Um, Use binding and loosing a lot because that's really good. I bind this and I loose this and I bind and then I loose. So that's that's a really key. But whatever you do in heaven's name, do not forget to say in Jesus' name at the end of it or none of this is going to happen. I was just like, well, wow, I think I got this thing figured out now. I'm ready to pray. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I just want to say, like, it's kind of nonsense, actually, because every single one of us, our prayers have to go through Holy Spirit spell check before it gets to God. <laughs> like, I've prayed stuff, and I'm sure God, Holy Spirit's going, what she means, what she's trying to say... <laughs> Right? But that's true. Like, it says that. It says that, that he intercedes for us with groans that words can't even express. Like I say a whole bunch of stuff and he goes, ah, <laughs> In a good way. right? He, but he really does intercede for us, and so we don't got to get hung up on saying the right stuff. In fact, sometimes you don't even need to say anything. Sometimes you just have to moan before the Lord, or whatever the thing is that's in your heart. right? That's prayer. That's intercession. Your tears are intercession. Sometimes your laughter is intercession. Sometimes your songs are. Sometimes just walking around going is intercession, right? Because you just had it. But always, again, before the Lord, right? Don't get hung up on saying all the right stuff. Just pray. You know, it doesn't matter. Speak, ask, declare, pray in tongues, pray in English, pray some other language. Pray the scriptures, pray written prayers, make up prayers. Like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Because it doesn't matter so much what we pray. It matters that we pray. It matters that we pray. And all that is, is just connecting with God and communing with Him. And sharing what's on your heart with Him. Holy Spirit will cover for us if we mess up. And just so you know, you cannot, you cannot offend Holy Spirit. He's unoffendable. You cannot offend him. So if you say the wrong thing, he will not be offended. Um, He will cover for you because he's gracious. He's amazing. And he has our backs. And then the third thing I want to say, the third point I guess, is don't put up with any garbage from the enemy. Don't put up with his lies. Don't put up with the stuff he tries to pull off. He's very, he's really not that creative, so you kind of get a sense after, well, yeah, here we go again, right? Um, I don't advocating ta- advocate talking to him any more than absolutely necessary. I definitely do not advocate having conversations with the enemy. Um, I don't, I would say do not taunt, do not res- disrespect his power, but don't put up with his garbage. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world every single time. Um, just over a week ago, I was coming back from seeing faith at school. And um, Lynchburg Airport is really small, so you have to take, like, uh, you have to fly into Charlotte, and then from Charlotte, you have to fly to Toronto. So I did one of those little, like, dash eight flights in between where you can never, ever talk to anybody because it's so loud in there. But um, that's okay because I'm kind of introverted anyway, so I don't mind. But then I got onto the next plane, and the next plane was just jam-packed. I mean, it was so full. And I always like to try and get a window seat because I like seeing what's going on outside. And my dad used to fly, so I always enjoyed, you know, looking out the window and seeing what was going on. So I still like that. So I had my window seat, and there was nobody beside me. And I'm thinking, I may be the blessed one today. I might have this whole little section here to myself. And I was pretty excited about that until... Just before the door is closed, this woman comes storming onto the aircraft. I mean, she was wired, right? She comes flying down the aisle. She throws herself into the seat beside me. She jams her knees straight into the seat in front of her, and she starts flinging around like this. I'm like, wow, you are strung out on something, lady. And she was, you know, young, you know, fairly attractive kind of lady, um, but obviously extremely distraught, extremely. And um, I was like, oh boy. So she throws her knees into the seat in front of her and she does it again and she does it, like we're not even taking off at this point yet, she's just doing this. The poor lady in front of her, she's rocking her back and forth, right? And I'm like, oh heavens, like, God, what am I supposed to do here? And so the lady turns around and just looks at her. You know how you give people like the warning look? Like, (laughs) she does one of those. The lady beside me freaks. Like, she loses her mind. She starts yelling at her and telling her she should buy a ticket in first class if she wants some some more space than that. And this is my seat and my space, and I paid for it and all this other stuff. And the guy across the aisle tries to go, "Um, maybe if you just put your knees down. So then she freaks out at him. And meanwhile, I've got this package of gum. I go, you want a piece of gum? (laughs) So she takes my gum. She's freaking out at every single person around me except me. And I'm like, oh, boy. Let me guess, Lord, sermon material? So (laughs) I'm I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, so what do you want me to do? Stewardess comes down. She's trying to intervene. They're freaking out at each other and all this yelling and screaming. Every passenger on the plane's turned around looking at us. I'm like, and then the other stewardess comes, and I'm like, then they go and confer, and I'm like, oh, no. They're pulling her off the airplane. Here we go. I said, God, what do you want to do? So he said, don't put up with any garbage from the enemy. I was like, oh. I kind of just turned away from her toward the window. And I said, okay, you evil belligerent spirit, you need to shut up. The next thing I know, she just, I was like, wow, that's kind of freaky. (laughs) I'm still not used to when it actually happens when you pray. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) so she calmed down. And then she turns to me and she says, I'll put my knees down, but I'm only doing it till we get in the air. And then they're going right back up there. I thought, no, they're not. So (laughs) we take off. And it was quite like, you could tell that they were still not quite sure if they were going to let this lady fly or not, but they did let her. Um, So we get up in the air. And of course, then I do the only thing I do when I get nervous. I start to talk, right? So I made small talk with her, which to me is completely exhausting. If you know introverts, that's just like (laughs) way out there. (laughs) I had small-talked with that lady for like an hour, and by this time I'm like, help me Jesus, can you just let her go to sleep? And the next thing I know, she goes, well, I'm going to go to sleep now. I thought, hallelujah. <laughs> so she, she did put her knees up again, but she did it really gently, and she went to sleep. And then I thought, oh no, she's going to wake up eventually, and she might be one of those crabby wake-up people, <laughs> so, "'Lord, is there anything you want me to do when she wakes up?' And he said, "'Yes. I want you to offer her to let her put her legs across your side of the seat and across your seat if she, and that makes her feel comfortable.'" And I was like, "'Ew, that's personal space violation big time.'" <laughs> but I was like, "'I'm stuck. i am got 30,000 feet, and I've got this lady who's obviously not traveling alone, if you know what I mean. Like, she's got friends with her that need to go, right? And so I'm like, "'Okay, Lord, at this point, whatever.'" <laughs> So she woke up, and she says, she starts to, like, move her legs. And I said, hey, you know what? If you really, like, I can tell you're not comfortable. If you want to, like, stretch your legs across over here, you can. <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And she goes, she kind of was just taken aback. And she goes, well, no, I wouldn't do that. And I'm like, okay. Um, she goes, she, and then all of a sudden, it was just like something just broke inside of her. And she was very, very nice for the rest of the trip. And then we started to descend. You know how usually the pilot tells us we've begun our descent? Well, he didn't tell us, and so I could see all of a sudden her ears were starting to do that thing. So I gave her another piece of gum, and um, then as soon as we landed, they shut the seatbelt sign off, and she gets up, and she starts helping people take out their baggage from the overhead compartment, including the lady in front of her. She had just, like, she was just handing it out, and then all of a sudden she just turned it. Out the door she went. And I thought, wow, that was crazy, (laughs) you know. So I got, Mark came and picked me up, and we talked about it a little bit afterwards. And he said, you know, if you wouldn't have been sitting there beside her, you guys might have had to wait. And... All those people would have been stuck while they got her off the plane and her luggage off the plane and then inspected her spot on the plane and everything else they have to do when they have to pull off a dis- an unruly passenger. And I realized, you know what? I was so uncomfortable sitting beside her. It was painful. And yet, that was God's gift of mercy to a lot of people, including me, because I would have been stuck too, right? It was his gift of mercy. And when he's calling us to get in that situation and to do warfare against the enemy, we sometimes think it's like, you know, like the part where I told the spirit I needed to shut up. That was important. But it was equally important for me to go and offer something that required sacrifice and love. Right? That was just as much warfare as the other part was. Because you know what? Any evil spirit cannot handle sacrifice and love. It cannot. Jesus' victory means the enemy no longer gets to set the agenda. The agenda is on earth as it is in heaven. That's the agenda. So if it's not on earth as it is in heaven, something's got to change. And we need to begin to learn how to engage in those things. To see change, because you know what? Imagine if, you know, a hundred people or a thousand people or all the people who call themselves by Jesus' name, if they all began to move that way, we would have a reformation in pretty much no time. We are called to bring the kingdom. It's not complicated, but it involves everything we are. And your prayers and my prayers are going to sound different. They're going to have a different flavor because you're different than I am. And you don't need to do it the way I do it. In fact, I'd really recommend that you do it the way you do it. Because it will be much more a God thing. But again, it doesn't matter so much how you pray or what you pray but that you pray. So this morning I want to ask you, what is weighing on your heart? And ask the Lord, what's your will, God, for that situation? Because he'll show you. He's not secretive about that stuff. He will show you. And gladly. And I encourage you, just pray it with all you've got and keep going until the breakthrough comes.